Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Upfront on Football Ramble Presents. I'm Flo Lloyd-Hughes. I'm Chloe Morgan. And I'm Rachel O'Sullivan. On today's show, there was no FA Cup fairy tale for Bridgewater, but we look at some of the intriguing mini upsets from across the fourth round on Sunday. Over in India, the Matildas crashed out of the Asian Cup quarterfinals, just 18 months out from co-hosting the World Cup. What's going wrong for Australia's national team? And we take a look at the landmark new reforms around maternity cover the players announced last week. But what still needs to be done? Egerberg qui va lever son ballon Et ça fait 3 buts à 1 Et celui-ci, le nouveau doublé pour Ada Egerberg Brune, Van der Sondag, drives it across, brilliant header Viviana Miedemar The power of the shot by Lucy Bronze means it's unstoppable and so are England Big weekend. Big weekend for all of us. So much happened. I was in Butlins. I fell down the stairs. I hurt my ribs. I was listening to the Venga Boys perform one of the greatest concerts I've ever seen. Chloe was assistant manager to Crystal Palace's women's win over Lewis. Huge oh, weekend. Yeah, I got promoted. Uh, I went from... You anyway, went full Sam Allardyce in the dugout. It really escalated over the weekend, yeah. I mean, I was expecting this call-up, if I'm honest. It's been uh, it's been on the books for quite a while now. And uh, so I joined the bench, uh, you know, the dugout, got to be in and around, you know, the, the, the reaction, really. Yeah, I was in charge of the subs. What Did, was your style? Did you, like, crouch? Did you sit on the, the cooler? 
It was more about. Yeah, kind did of, you have a seat or did you have to? Well, I'd been practicing some looks, like you said. Uh, so it's very much kind of like a pensive type vibe, mm-hmm. you know, very kind of like, oh, um, you know, considering subs, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, really just mm-hmm. important things. Were you allowed to give your thoughts on the game or was it strictly like these, the coaches and the analysis will do that? Or were you like, mm, I think we need to go three at the back? Um, I did give a little bit of input on the analysis just with the goalkeeping perspective, um, but not too much in the kind of formation and stuff like that. I was, I was like, I'll leave that to the experts. What was your, my first time. What was your goalkeeping it? analysis? Oh, I can't tell you that. It's all top secret. Ooh, Keep the ball out. Wow. <laughs> Basically that, yeah. Mm. Don't let it in. Put it in your hands. Um, I'm really intrigued to see a little roundup of my weekend. Go for it. Very restful and peaceful weekend. Half. Half and half. Half, I, I had, and half. We had a day off. Yeah, we, we took a day off. You were at the nice. seaside, weren't you? It was at the seaside, yeah. Love that. Went to went to a little champagne bar in a lighthouse. Mm, it was champagne. very cute. Had a glass of champagne on a Saturday. Well, the afternoon. ramble paying you yeah. very well. Mate. What a romantic date idea, Flo. You should take notes. <laughs> I have romantic slander. And um, what else are you up to on the weekend? Also went to Brighton Reading um, FA Cup game. Started out slow. Turned out to be really quite exciting. Yeah, it was quite a chaotic game. Wasn't it? Yeah, it was a bit mad. It was like crossbars and like was the ball over the line and. All sorts, yeah. It ended up Reading 3-2. They were 2 up when came back to 2-2 and then they... My question is, was the ball over the line? Um, I think, I mean, I obviously think... in the highlights, like where the camera is, it's not a great angle for it, but it looked like to me that the ball bounced right on or slash like ahead of the line, not behind it. It was from my angle also, not the best one. Right. Um, but yeah, I think that's a kind of, if you don't have VAR, you're never going to be 100% sure on that one. It was a fun game. It was, in the end. It turned out to be a really fun game. Anyone have a game of the weekend? I really enjoyed watching Bridgewater's fans boo Manchester United for <laughs> 90 minutes. It was really funny. Um, on the highlights, which I think is about like maybe four and a half minutes, um, Bridgewater goalie put in a, a big performance as well. But um, it was really funny because every single time Beth Howard made a save, they would cheer. And every single time Man United were on the board, it was just, boo. <laughs> it was that. really funny. Like, it just made me laugh. Um, I think maybe my game of the weekend is probably the Southampton one. Um, also because we got to speak to Marianne Spacey-Kale in the lead up to it. And we had a really nice interview with her. She's just like, she speaks so well about the club and just learning about their ethos and the way they're trying to, the, the project they're trying to build there. And so to then have them go on and win, like playing in St. Mary's in front of, you know, I think it was three and a half thousand. Yeah, really good crowd. Uh, yeah, Southampton fan scoring a goal for Southampton in St. Mary's Stadium. So that was like a proper little fairy And they, tale. I mean, talk about that that um, Brighton-Reading game with sort of the way that the Reading were holding on towards the end, that corner, that, that ball hitting the crossbar. Southampton had some of that as well. That that one that the, that girl cleared off the line. Bristol City were pushing the missed penalty for Bristol City. It had a lot of drama in it, even though it was only one nil. Yeah, it was a proper FA Cup tie. Um, so delighted for them that they get to move on and continue their journey. I'm, I'm excited for the next one. Yeah, and I we had um, we had Mary and Spacey Kell on um, the talk sports show that I do, and we were doing the draw. And she was a bit gutted to draw up Switch Town because she's already played them twice this season. Obviously, you want a WSL side, but I was thinking. Mate, this is this is really ideal because you could get through the quarterfinals, then you get the big, big scalp on a WSL team. But you played Ipswich twice already. You know how to beat them. They've won one game, lost the others, yep. lost the other one. So this is perfect because it's probably one of the best chances you've ever had to get to quarterfinal. That and you know, from a wider scale perspective, it means one of them will be going through to the next round, which is, is yeah, great. Which is great. Yeah. yeah, and I know it's obviously you want the best chance to get you know a big side, but I think long term vision here. I'm happy with that. Did you have a particular favourite? I mean, obviously Palace did well in, in that game, but it wasn't a, an FA Cup game because you'd lost in the 
Don't know. <clears throat> I thought we weren't going to mention that again, and here it is. Every week. Sorry, every, sorry. Literally every week. Sorry. But actually, let's go back to the Bridgewater pitch. Go on. Because that's a farmyard. <laughs> I told you. Hello, I told you so. <laughs> I told you all. It is literally like playing on animal fodder. It's uh, horrible. I really hope that with the cash, which I know they've done quite well of, because I think we mentioned before how the home side keeps the majority of the income on these games, and they sold out Fairfax Park. Great crowd. Um, I hope they manage to put some money into the pitch because obviously we know it's really difficult and the climate crisis is making things even harder for grassroots football. But that pitch was bobbly as hell. It's bad. It makes it difficult to play good football. And I think that's probably yeah. why Man United struggled a little bit. They weren't, they, we're not used to pitches like that. The way that everyone was trying to get the ball just under their feet, it was just constantly moving. Just to get <laughs> some kind of control on it. Yeah. So they did well, I think. And, and um, Bridgewater, holding Man United back to just 2-0, I think that's absolutely phenomenal. And actually, if if um, they hadn't conceded that own goal for Charlotte Buxton... It could have been much tighter. It could have been yeah, took the more. I think it was like the 70th nil or something. 81st, I think. El- yeah. Eltoon got that second goal. Mm. So, I mean, Beth Howard had to do a lot to keep them out, but they, they didn't play too badly. I think they did phenomenally. And I think just the exposure now they're going to get from that game. I mean, old, old Gunnar Skol- Solskjaer was there. I can't even say his name. Yeah. Old Gunnar Skol- Solskjaer. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. There you go. I know his daughter Kana is an absolute sensation in the academy side, top scorer I think in under twenty ones women's football right now, um, and she yeah, she came on made her senior debut, very exciting. Um, the parents were in the house, made a lot of headlines. Yeah, thirteen goals in twelve games in the twenty ones, and probably going to be a big star of the future. So that's very exciting, and everyone at, at the Bridgewater game got to kind of. Witness a bit of history. One to watch. What a place to make your debut. Yeah, and I'm excited having heard a lot and spoken a lot to Bridgewater in the lead up to that game. I'm really excited to see like where they go forward at this. I think this is the start of something really big for them. Another little sneaky, we'll call it an upset. It is, it's two WSL sides, but I think it still does still count as an upset. Leicester beating Spurs 3-1. Interesting. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Obviously, I think that was not expected. I think we all thought that Spurs on balance were probably going to win this one. But Leicester, I mean, come on. I mean, they're coming off the back of some pretty good performances recently. And I think, you know, now looking at the game ahead with, with Birmingham, you know, I'm seeing them going into that with a little bit more confidence than they otherwise would have had. Definitely. Huge game this weekend between Birmingham and Leicester. My question for you guys, though, is it a bit of a distraction Still being in the in the hat for the for the FA Cup. Well, what was really funny was that in the pre-match press conference, Lydia Bedford actually said about the FA Cup, like obviously it's a special cup, we love it, but our focus is staying up. Yeah. So they weren't because that's more important long term. Yeah. So it was almost like they weren't. I don't even know if they were. Obviously, they weren't going out to lose, but I don't think they were necessarily expecting to Big to things, win. Yeah. yeah. Um. And whether kind of Spurs heard that and thought maybe this won't be as tough a game as we we thought it might be, it definitely didn't seem to be. Leicester's focus, the FA Cup. Um, I wouldn't see it as a distraction. It, if anything, it gives them more of a boost because they're like, not you know, not only are we going into this massive match against Birmingham, but we've just beaten, you know, pretty top side in the WSL. So boosts their confidence. And you know, I, no, I wouldn't say it as a distraction. I'd say for them, any step in the FA Cup is a bonus. Getting any momentum and confidence. Yeah, it's a bonus, but they're probably not you know looking to end up at, at, at Wembley. But for them, cool. We we won the game. We probably didn't expect to win. Extra kind of confidence, bonus kind of another match, as you say, more momentum. Yeah, I think I think they'll be pretty happy with that. And also, it's it's interesting because I think for Spurs, FA Cup is a really important competition for them because when you don't need to worry about relegation, you've got to be focusing on going deep in these competitions. They've got a Conti Cup semi final against Manchester City this week, so 
they could they could have gone really deep into two cup competitions, which would have been would have been a really successful season for them. So I think Ryan Skinner must be really disappointed. And also, yet again, we're looking at their performances and saying there aren't enough goals in your team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does feel a little bit like the wheels are coming off a little bit. Um, and you're right. I think aiming for top three, while Ryan Skinner says that it's not something they initially went out to do. I think with their form in the first half of the season, they probably thought we can do that and try and get far in a cup competition. And that's not going to happen now in the FA Cup. So I think they'll be pretty gutted. I think it's quite helpful for them, to be honest, to be dropped out of the FA Cup. Because I think now they can just focus on the Conti Cup and doing what they can to try and maybe secure that Champions League spot. So I think obviously having the additional competition alongside is probably not that helpful. So even though, yeah, I, I agree. I think Vianne Skinner, you know, she's ambitious. She wants the club to do well. She wants the cup. She wants the league. But at the same time, I think, you know, you, you can't win everything every year. Well, unless you're Chelsea. But, um, you know, it is coming. But... Small steps. I just hope it doesn't knock their confidence because they haven't had the best run of form in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Obviously, Matildas um, got knocked out of the Asian Cup and one of the Matildas that could really give a helping hand to Spurs is, is Kia Simon, uh, who all those players will be now be coming back after they were shockingly knocked out. So, I mean, let's get stuck into a bit of Aussie chat because it was a bit of a shock. I think we'd mentioned on the pod before about how they were hands down the favourites for the competition. World Cup on the horizon. We're about, what, a year and a bit out of that. Um, home World Cup as well, because they're hosting it. There were huge expectations after a very good Olympic Games in which they just missed out on a bronze medal to get knocked out in the corner fi- quarterfinals of this competition, losing 1-0 to South Korea. And Rachel, you sent her an article that that been written in, in ABC by Samantha Lewis, a really good Aussie football writer and you could definitely sense in the country right now in Australia a huge huge disappointment yeah but I also think what was really interesting about that article is she spoke about what's realistic from the squad versus what the expectations on the squad are and I think they are quite different and I think it is a bit of a you know golden generation if you like there are some standout players in that squad and it could also be a fact that we're seeing more of those players now playing in Europe, playing in the WSL, um, and they're getting professional football and you know some of the best players in the world are Australian. And the assumption then is, well, that means the team's going to be one of the best teams in the world. You talk about, I know they had a historic Olympic run, but they didn't have great results in the Olympics when you look at it. They're a very chaotic team. And this is kind of what I mentioned in my preview for this, which is, they're a team that have goals in them, but boy, are they bad defensively. They're they're very chaotic defensively. And I think if it's kind of similar to England in some ways, the England under Phil Neville especially is, they just let themselves down. And I think it, it hasn't been a great nine months for Alana Kennedy. She's had a very difficult, difficult few months. She had a poor Olympic game. She hasn't been great since moving to City. And then this happens as well, um, losing the game to South Korea. And I feel like... They really need to sort that out. Yeah, I think trying to figure out how to be cohesive as a team hasn't worked yet. And I again, it's this narrative of we did this historic thing in the Olympics. But you look at the Olympics, they just beat New Zealand 2-1. They lost to Sweden. They drew with the US. They beat Team GB, obviously. Um, lost to Sweden again. Lost to the US again. You know, and then came out in, in a friendly loss to Ireland. And obviously, Ireland are amazing. Um, but, you know, when you look at it, I know... That getting as far as they did in the Olympics for them was historic but actually the results weren't brilliant so it's kind of it, it's not providing the context behind what they're talking about and that's probably leading to this false narrative of we should be looking to win the the World Cup in 2023 
instead of looking at realistically what is achievable with the squad that's got, you know, pretty new manager. Like if you look at their results, they're not a really a team that will beat teams above them. They're not really a team that cause upsets. You know what I mean? And yeah, I know what you mean. I think for me, I always look at it and think, oh, well, they're a team that can score loads of goals. So as soon as they figure themselves out defensively, they'll be fine. I think that's what the Olympics really proved. And But at the same time, there's a huge over-reliance on Sam Kerr. And what ha- what happened in the game against South Korea is she missed an, such a good chance, basically a tap-in, and she scuffed it. And then there was another chance where she scuffed it. And I think Kia Simon tried to sort of knock it on uh, the follow-up. But... I think that over-reliance on her, obviously a huge player, if she has a poor game, everyone kind of crumbles around her. Yeah, we spoke about this last week as well when we were talking about West Ham, about the over-reliance on one player. And to say something that's going to be considered controversial, Sam Kerr does miss a lot, but she creates so many chances, which is amazing for like for a forward. She does create a lot of goal-scoring chances. And when you look at her stats, she's up there with the most goal-scoring chances created that also means you're going to miss quite a few. So if she's, like you say, having an off day where she's not then making an amazing tap over like she did in the FA Cup, you know, we're scoring these kind of, these worldies, those misses then become the thing you talk about. And, you know, when you look at the FA Cup final, for example, she did not have a good first half. She missed a lot of chances. But the great thing was she went on then to score two great goals and you don't then think about that. If you're relying too much on one player and she does have a difficult game, like she's not going to be 100% every single game, then yeah, it's going to become kind of more glaring. And you're right, it is, there. there's one thing to be good up front, but they are, they do struggle at the back quite a bit. It's massively that. I think, you know, with the Matildas, they're one of these teams that have kind of come in as being, um, I think there's a, a, so much of a press hype around them. You know, they've got the the amazing jerseys as you know demonstrated by Flo today. Beautiful. Uh, you know, they've got Sam Kerr, they've got Caitlin Ford, they've got these big names that you see in the WSL and I think everyone is expecting them that they're just going to run away and become the new sort of the USAs of, of big international competitions. But like you said, th- those kind of things don't happen overnight. And I think when you do have that over-reliance on a couple of key players, when they're not on form, things don't go to plan. Um, but with me, I, I think there's this sort of like lowered expectation, I suppose. They're always a team that have never, they've gone far and they're getting further in competitions. You know, the best they've ever qualified for um, the World Cup and, you know, the, their position at the moment, their ranking is, is one of the best that it's ever been. But I think they're always a team that have nearly got there, but haven't quite managed to get any further. So I think that's still yet to come for them. But um, I think what's maybe more concerning for me is I feel like I'm looking into the future of what England's home heroes are going to be like because obviously that this this tournament was was hosted in India and actually there's massive dis- disappointment there because India couldn't even finish their group games because a lot of the squad got covid and they were forced by the rules of the tournament to drop out which is hugely disappointing for a lot of fans there but looking at England's home heroes coming coming up the reaction to Australia being knocked out of the quarterfinals in the Hedge Cup has been so devastating because there is so much expectation and pressure on the Home World Cup next summer. And I feel like I'm looking into the future of what articles and what, what people are going to be saying when England... Don't say that. I, I Come on. I think you need to... And what we you said about this article, that um, the ABC News article by Samantha Lewis, is the, is the split in the trajectory of expectations and hype versus the trajectory of a team. And the hype is going to be, you know, up way quicker. Like they're they're so invested in the Matildas team. They've got great stories in that team, great personalities. 
you know, people are really kind of invested in these in these players. And that means the expectation grows really, really quickly. But realistically, when you look at the squad they have, and um, Gustafsson said this when he kind of initially took over, is they're not World Cup winners yet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they within themselves kind of know that this is a journey and will, you know, maybe take a little while to to find that cohesive squad. But because they're hosting it and because they've got this hype and this belief around them, it's like the trajectory of the team versus the trajectory of the expectation are going at different levels. And Yeah, and I think, I think also, I, th- I guess what's different though to England and I'm not trying to move the conversation onto some completely different team, but also I think the reality is, like we've said, is actually the quality in Matilda's side is so unbalanced. You've got some players like Sam Kerr who are one of the best in the world and you've got some players who are playing in the W League, which, no disrespect, the quality is just not as good as some of the leagues in the US and Europe. So you've got a bit of a mismatch in some of the players. You've got players who are in terrible form, players who are in good form. You've got a player like Lydia Williams who played in goal in that quarterfinal who's barely played much domestic football this season. You've just got a bit of a, of a mismatch and I think unlike England you've got supposedly you know a selection of some of the best players in the world to choose from and that's why it's like well then the hype and the expectation is justified because they should be they should be getting to major finals and they should be winning things whereas I agree with you I think maybe this is a reality check for Aussies that actually maybe we need to turn the hype down a tad but I still think in in a regional competition like the Asian Cup it was realistic to expect them to lift yeah. that. And yeah. they'd got to, I think it's four of the last finals. Yeah, this is the, I think the worst they've done in this, or the earliest they've been knocked yeah. out. Yeah, and, and they've said. only won it once, but got to the finals a lot and lost back-to-back finals 1-0 to Japan. Yeah. So this is like 1-0, losing 1-0 again, this time to South Korea. It's like, God, deja vu. It, it's turning them into what I think England are, which is like serial losers. And I think it's really hard when you're not the US and you're not in some ways Japan because they tasted that success and you're not now Canada because they've tasted success. When you haven't won things, and sorry guys, I don't count the She Believes Cup as winning anything. You, you don't know what it's like to win and you haven't tasted success. And that's why it's great to have someone like Sam Kerr on a side because she has won a lot. Unfortunately, they didn't win the Champions League, but you need winners. And that's what I fear with someone like the Tilders. I fear with the England team is, and Team GB is, we need winners because you need that winning mentality. And the US, Canada now, they are they are going to be ruthless because they tasted that sweet, sweet success. I think one other thing you have to factor in, I'm definitely not using as an excuse because COVID obviously did hit international football all over the world. But when you've got so many of your players playing on the completely opposite side of the world, add that into the fact that you're the host. So therefore you don't have to take part in any kind of qualifiers. So already you're kind of relying on friendlies. Now they had the Olympics, which was good, but it's just factoring all, there's just been so many things that have just kind of knocked probably the progress they'd hoped to make in the lead up to the tournament. Yeah, no, I totally get that. But at the same time, I would say Australia kind of banked on that in, in many ways because so many of their players decided to play in Europe so therefore they could hold camps in the past year in Sweden and in other places to bring people together so I feel like they deliberately put in so many steps in order to make sure that they gave themselves the best chance they had all of Arsenal's Aussie players leaving early mm. unlike a lot of the rest of the world and they all came together in a pre-camp before Dubai not many other teams were doing that and so I'm I don't know. Well, maybe I'm it's being the pressures of, you know, well, you have players like that who want to go back and perform well in the WSL. Maybe a part of them, you know, as, as already qualified, I mean, maybe the pressure's off. Maybe they didn't feel that this was that big 
of a deal in, in terms of, you know, them not having to, to do much to qualify for the World Cup already. And they've still got 18 months left to get themselves set and in the right headspace for that. But, you know, if I was and, a player going over into a competition like that and I was being regularly played in the WSL, I probably wouldn't have my full heart and focus into a competition like that knowing I've got to go back and put out an absolute shift in, in I suppose, a league that maybe matters to them more. See, I would have like said that. that. I would have said that if I hadn't seen some of these social media posts, which I know you can say sometimes these are a bit manufactured, but honestly, some of the captions that these Aussies have put in there, they were proper gutted because in their minds, they were going to win this tournament. And that's why I'm getting like, that's so Raven's visions about the Euros this summer. that was never a guarantee. Because I'm proper... Japan in there. Yeah, but I'm proper... Reigning defending champions. Yeah, but Japan are in a... You're just going to walk in and just... The thing is, a lot of the other teams in this tournament are in a transition or in a bad patch. Or lower rank. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. but like Japan are very much in transition. South Korea a little bit in transition as well, haven't got as much talent as Australia. So I think in their minds, and this is something, you know, that, that is, is a negative, is that in sometimes you just have in your mind you've already won something mm-hmm. and you make you make the, the sort of assumption that it's going to be easy and then you come up against a team like South Korea who missed a penalty. I mean, they gave you a helping hand to win the game. It looked like neither of them wanted to win the game. It like, was a bit like that, it was, wasn't it? The chances they had and the misses, like you couldn't miss that penalty that badly again if you tried. You couldn't do that two times in a row. Do you know what I mean? It was, yeah, it was a, and then a weird one to watch. But I also then think the other thing these players are probably thinking of now is they also now know what's going to be said. So that's going to, that not only oh, is, it, totally. is it shit like, for them that they've gone out when they expected to win, but they're like, oh, we're going to get I mean, so have much a look press. At, have a look at the Matilda's captions on Instagram. It is heartbreaking because it all of them wanted it so much. And I think that's why I'm also like, oh my God, this is going to be intense for England is because much like England, Australian women's football is at the most popular it's ever been. People are mad about the Matildas. They're one of the most supported teams, regardless of gender, teams in the country. There is so much hype around them, especially women's sport and someone like Ash Barty winning the Australian Open. Like, There's a lot of hype around women's sport in Australia right now and these people are big. And with World Cup on Horizon, like the pressure is immense and I feel like I don't know if they can handle it. And that's why I'm like... The, the time button is almost ticking for me. Yeah. The one thing I will always say, though, is that we often expect the team that we support, the expectation from major tournament to major tournament is always so high. And there's al- it's always, almost like other teams around you aren't also improving. They don't like, exist. <laughs> women's football is growing everywhere, you know, and majority of countries, especially, you know, European countries, your US, your Canada, Australia, we're seeing more Asian teams as well, are investing more in the game. So, yes, your team might improve. So is everybody else oh, around yeah. you. And there's such a there's such a like a Western or even just domestic arrogance when yeah. you're in your bubble, you think your team is the best, and then you get a a hard reality check when you get to a major tournament. You're like, oh, there are actually other good teams out oh, there. Oh, they also train and have yeah. really good players. Yeah. So but I think at these major tournaments, you also see who the winners are. I mean, Canada won a gold medal at the Olympic Games without really playing exceptionally well scoring many goals scoring many goals section one and scoring a lot of penalties and they want to go so that is what you've got to do you've got to play tournament football and tournament football is hard and that's why we love it and that's why it's unique and also we have to shout out some of the teams who have blown away the competition this tournament the Philippines wow have qualified for the World Cup for the first time in their history they beat Chinese Taipei on penalties in the quarterfinal of the Asian Cup, get through to semifinals, and that means that you qualify. And that's why this tournament's very exciting because we get so many World Cup qualifiers out of it. Uh, very exciting for that country. I saw a brilliant interview that was shared yesterday by Radha Gupta, who's been 
following uh, the Asian Cup. She's yeah, an Indian journalist, and mm. so she's been so excited that they're hosting the tournament. And she was asking about the, 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 the Filipino team, about what it means to be Filipino, because she was saying, having watched all the quarterfinals, she flew across the country in India to watch the quarterfinals, and she was saying by far the most vocal, spirited, together, united team was the Philippines. And she asked a great question uh, about that, and it was a brilliant answer from the two players, because I think, you know, having a look on social media, there were a couple of questions about the way that the team had come together because it was a lot of players who had Filipino heritage, grew up in the States and were playing college football. But I th- thought it was brilliant how they sort of hit back and, and said, you know, we know what it, what it means to be Filipino and, and this is very much a part of our culture and the way we are. And it was a really, really nice clip. So definitely have a look at that on social media. Um, and I think it's just, I love seeing a new team get to the World Cup. It reminds me of the kind of, you know, we were touched on the FA Cup magic. You know, there's so many moments in tournaments that are so much more than just the scores, the end results. Um, and it's, I know obviously Philippines getting through is is massive, but there were also like, I think it was Indonesia when Australia played Indonesia and, and pictures of Sam Kerr, they wanted a picture with her afterwards. You know, it's, there's so much more than just the results in these tournaments. It's the exposure, the experience, the inspiration. And it's the same with the FA Cup. You know, Carla Ward touched on that. They lost 12-0 to Arsenal when she was really young and she was like, it's still one of the best memories that she had. So many people came to see and it's a similar situation in tournaments like this. You're seeing more teams getting those opportunities and being exposed to top-tier football, new audiences. It's magic and I'm, yeah, really excited to see the Philippines. It's going to be amazing. I agree with that. I think it's historic for them, obviously. You know, it being the first time they're going to qualify this year and I think, you know, what that's going to do for them in terms of, you know, putting them on the map and there's already articles being written about them. You know, there's interest being had in, in the players and the squad and their history and, you know, I was doing my own sort of research on them and they're such a fairly new team. I mean, they're, they're only, I think they only formed in the 1980s, which is relatively recent considering all the other teams were formed much before that. And I think they were ranked 64th in the world and now all of a sudden they're qualifying for, for the World Cup and I think you know that's really going to do stuff for the the players in terms of confidence and you know obviously they're going to go into the World Cup as underdogs but just having the experience of being able to say you're going to a World Cup is just phenomenal so yeah credit to them Oh good run crosses fizzed in and Sam Kerr has a hat-trick If you're looking for plump lips that last you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? 
helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Looking for your next podcast binge? Well, look no further. The Offensive is a football mockumentary that follows Premier League club Ashwood City as their money-grabbing owner and is bored via from one crisis to another. Sounds familiar. Well, things are reaching breaking point this January as Real Madrid come calling for Ashwood's star player. Oh, and Patrick's going to accept 180 million euros for Kevin. Wait, what? wait, hang on, wait. Woody, I'm just getting my dick out. Ah, fuck you and your dick. It's just getting my dick out, Woody. It's part of the negotiations. Woody, my dick. Patrick, these are the new work experience intake for the marketing team. Ah, uh, hi. Hi, yeah. The Offensive. Where the thick of it meets the Premier League. Subscribe now and enjoy more than 130 episodes. The Offensive is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. So, some good news over the past week around players' contracts for professional footballers in England because there's going to be some maternity cover uh, and long-term sickness cover for the first time in their contracts. Now, maybe I'm an idiot, and a lot of people listening to this podcast might agree with that, but I had thought that that was already in there for some players, not all players, but I thought a lot of players already had that in their contracts. So I was pretty surprised slash disappointed that this didn't already exist, but I'm relieved that it nailed us. I think it was at the discretion of the clubs. Yeah. So, yeah, the clubs that could afford it. Yeah offered it I guess so I think now it's something that's going to be written into the if you're applying to be in the WSL um, or the FWC that you, you have to have that in you'd have to be able to provide that which is amazing uh, and about time like I f- it almost feels like people have just realised that female footballers have babies too like this has always been a thing it's like with FIFA saying oh we're doing this like small step now and then we're just going to see how it goes and then off- after that like we'll see what else we can do and it's like this isn't a new phenomenon and we've have players who have gone away, had a kid or two or three in the case case of like Katie Chapman, and come back and play professional football I think and play for the country. I think that's what annoys me is that we, our, my exposure to it has always been content and articles and TV interviews written about players who oh my god, isn't it remarkable they've had kids and they come back and it's like oh yeah cool and now in my mind I'm like oh but they were never actually potentially being fully supported by their clubs to go through that process and come back. Yeah, the content's there and celebrating them, but actually people aren't even being 
supported with the right labor rights to be entitled to the support they need. So, yeah, it's kind of like a long time coming, but you're like, I, and I know there's so much more to, to be done. And then that is sort of worries me because then it's like, well, if you actually dig through the paperwork, Chloe Morgan, attorney at law, Hiya. Um, you know, you find some absolute shit in there. Well, I think it's that when I was looking at the um, FA contracts and obviously I've been on a, a contract now for I think it's about five years. And I think obviously the nature of my job, you know, I go through the contract with a fine tooth comb, but I know so many players that I've spoken to would just sign it, send it back. That and, would and be me. That would be a <laughs> lot of players. Sign my life away. <laughs> and obviously a lot of players, you know, back in the day didn't do you, necessarily do you have help? agents. Do you help? Like, do people ask you for help or do you say like, 100%. I mean, I've always spoken, especially to the younger players and the ones who don't have representation. I've always said, you know, come to me if there's something you're not quite sure of. But, you know, going through the contract um, myself, you know, I've been shocked sometimes by, because it's a standard worded contract and I've always felt that the FA have needed to update this urgently. This, mm. this should be a matter of priority. And it's obviously great now that, you know, these maternity rights and these injury rights are included. But, you know, when you go through the contract and you see things such as, you know, we have to request permission from the clubs to have a second part-time job when the club itself won't pay you enough to actually support yourself with just the wages that they're paying. Or, for example, you know, kit provision and food provision, you know, all these kind of things, while some of them might make up the licensing agreements for the championship and the the, the WSL, if they're in a player's contract, a, a player then has enforceable rights that they can then bring to the club. A lot of players I've spoken to don't know what the licensing agreements are. So they, they just, it's, it's um, yeah, I just... um. It's madness. It's madness that we're sort of sitting here and talking about maternity rights in 2022. And also, you wouldn't really know until something happens. Mm -hmm. Say you get an in a long-term injury and we know that players have been let go from contracts because of that. And just news today on, on Tuesday uh, that there's going to be new elements in the contract to protect players from that, that we know that you wouldn't know until that happens when, you know, you do your ACL and you're going to be out for a year and they say, soz. See you later. Absolutely. In the past, I mean, the experiences that I've had where you've had players who have gone through, you know, quite significant injuries is that you'll be told to go to the NHS first. You'll be going, you know, if you break something in a training session, you'll be told to go to, you know, the NHS waiting rooms and try and see what the situation is there. And, you know, what I've always felt is that that situation wouldn't be the same if it was a, if it was a Premier League player who had suffered that kind of injury. They'd be sent straight away to a private medical facilities for scans and treatment, etc. And, you know, it, it's just amazed me sometimes that, you know, when you've got players at this level that they're having to rely on, you know, a, a very slow process to get back to, you know, rehab and recovery when those th things exist in those clubs already for male players. Yeah, we know there's obviously still issues around insurance as well in the women's mm -hmm. game, around players having the right medical insurance to be entitled to claim things. In the the announcement today around these, these new elements in the contract, uh, Marie-Christine Bouchier, who is Director of Women's Football at the PFA, she makes the comparison you made, Chloe, which is about, you know, take two England internationals uh, who play for the same club, one in the Premier League, one in the WSL, if they have the same in injury. And uh, it's it says, you know, that they're going to be out for uh, an extended period of time under the current WSL contract. If a player is going to be out longer than three months, they can be released from a club. Whereas a Premier League player, it would take them 18 months in a twenty in consecutive eighteen months in a twenty month period in order to be released, mm -hmm. so you know the, the the differences are so stark that it's very important to sort of bring them up to date. I want to know so this sick pay, which is great that they will be now receive pay while they're injured, but does that also include going to a private facility instead of having to wait? You know, we saw a couple of people who got injured during COVID and had to wait even longer to get those 
operations because the waiting lists and, and stuff had been, you know, a lot of stuff had been postponed during COVID and they weren't able to get private um, medical help. So it makes me wonder, does it include that? Is it going to help with stuff like that? Great that they're getting paid, but is it going to help them get back on the pitch quicker or is it just kind of your standard sick pay? I can see a lot of it being left again to the club's discretion because I think that Whether was what the clubs I really have noticed. insurance, yeah. things like that. It's that. I think what I noticed about the contract was that it's some parts of it are so vague and it's, you know, if the whatever the club basically feels that they, they can provide, then they will. So I think, you know, some of those areas, of, some of the areas of the contract need to be just a lot more specific, especially in terms of you know kit and uniform, where your training facilities are going to be, what time is your training going to be? Because like even basic things like that aren't included in that contract. It's madness. I mean, I'm I'm happy to send you guys copies of my contract. Well, I, I, I feel like at. it's going to be something we're we're going to want to dig into. And, yeah. And this week as well, there was news around the NWSL and the NWSL Players Association announcing a CBA agreement for the first time in their history and I think we're going to dig into that at some point so I think we'll probably do like a very big contract focus as well where we can get into the nitty-gritty get our uh, in-house lawyer involved get the highlighter pens out and really get to understand like what's in these contracts because I want to know more about that maternity that 14 weeks you know because a player is obviously not going to like someone maybe working in an office is not going to be working if you like right up right until up maybe to, eight months yeah. they're probably gonna have to stop playing what I think Helen Ward said about three months in and then what's def- what how do they define working is a certain type of training them working does the 14 weeks start from when they stop being available for matches if that's the case you know you've pretty much used up all your maternity leave before think, the baby's even born I know that one of them said that there that would include eight weeks post birth it's just a little bit. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot yeah. of uh, 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 ambiguous and unanswered questions. But one of the big questions, Chloe, which hasn't gone away because uh, Maheta Malango, the uh, chief executive of the PFA, has said that the issue of women's championship players being covered under the PFA has not been resolved, and the conversations around around that are ongoing. And obviously, that impacts you. It impacts a lot. What about what 250 or so players in the championship? Yeah. And it is ridiculous because some of those players are professional, some of those players are full-time, or they are essentially balancing two full-time jobs. I think it's that. I think it, it's all, I think what the PFA are trying to say, that it all balances and hinges on this definition of professionalism. And I think for us, obviously, you know, as championship players, our position is that we are paid to play football and therefore we are professionals. I mean, we give up however many hours it is of contact time per week to play football. And I think... That's what's most disappointing is that whilst you might be looking at an old-fashioned definition of professionalism in terms of the men's game, it's a completely different product and the championship is completely different to the, the men's championship. So I think there just needs to be a, sign of a thinking outside the box situation at the moment in terms of how the championship fits in that. And I think, you know, what you're really adding is only 250 extra players to the PFA membership. But, you know, I know the PFA have been so reluctant to include women's championship players. And I think that's one of the things that I, whilst I absolutely appreciate that maternity rights has been something they've been fighting for, I do I do wonder where is the PFA mandate to negotiate on women's championship players' behalf halves in terms of the contract when we're not members so mm. where was so you that? haven't been included in the discussion and I think it's that I think you know putting my lawyer hat on if I didn't if I if, if someone came to me and expected me to negotiate on the behalf and they're not a client and they're not giving me any instructions I'm thinking what mandate do I have to do that so you know I, I, I think the PFA need to really reconsider that and I know they've, they've made comments now about potentially having the championship included but there's no time frame yeah. given it feels like the can, you know, they're kicking the can down the road a little bit, and they'll talk about it every now and then. But it's like you, you need to actually see some action and some. Well, outcomes. I think also when 
the WSL moved into its new era, the FA stressed how it wasn't about just being professional. It was about this full-time term. And I think with the with the PFA, I think perhaps they've lost sense of that because they're so focused on professionalism rather than full-time, whereas a lot of championship players are full-time, but they may not be being paid in a professional manner, if you get where I'm going. It's ridiculous. If you're a lawyer like three days a week instead of five days a week, you're still a professional lawyer. I, I don't get this kind of, you know, looking at how many days or hours, hours or if yeah. it's part-time or full. You're still a professional at the job that you're doing. If you're working two jobs, you are professional at the jobs you're doing. So it's a bit of a, it's semantics. It sounds a bit Yeah, like. and, and but I, I suppose in, you know, in law, it's all about semantics, isn't it? It's all about words. It's all linguistics. It's all, <laughs> it's all about jargon. But I think even if ways. you could just take away the word professionalism, even if you just said we would accept membership from WSL and championship players, cut it there. That's mm. absolutely all you need to do at this stage. It makes no sense that you've got a professional body that only supports the the top elite level of women's football and supports about eight levels of of men's football. Mm. You know, you adding two hundred and fifty extra women's players to your roster is not going to make any difference. The mm. biggest difference is going to be how many people, how many male players that you currently support. So, you know, it's um, the PFA just have a lot to do. Just just let us in. <laughs> knock knock. And weirdly enough, Hello, I'm actually a member PFA. because you get membership through being a WSL player. So I'm actually a member of the PFA. So when I say this, I say it's on behalf of you know current championship. So players. you retained your membership from being in the WSL. You retain your membership, but as a WSL player who now plays for the championship, I've got a lower tier membership. So you right. get you get um you get relegated in terms of what your or the provisions that you can get. But what I find really funny about the PFA is that they're absolutely happy to provide all these additional services to youth boys academies and things like that, but say that the championship is is too far out of their remit. Well, we're, we're going to carry on talking about this. I think we should do a, a focus episode on, on player contracts and player rights and things like that. And maybe we'll even get a current like WSL or retired WSL player on as well to talk about that because I think it's one that we've really got to dig into maybe an, maybe an agent as well I think there's so much to uncover in this um, and if you need help call 1-800-CHLOE-MORGAN here all week <laughs> hotline um, but no Chloe it's great to chat to this with you because we need your insight on these things next week you're wearing two hats we've decided this yeah. it is it's going to be gonna a barrister's get, wig yeah. and a Peter Chet and a gavel where you yeah. just yeah, so that we're Crashed decided down whenever a, a barrister's wig and then the kind of scrum hat that Peter Cech wears and that Obsessed is her, you know, player, just exchange lawyer. hats. Obsessed mm-hmm. with that. Depending on what opinion I need to give. Yeah. Um, you back in the dugout this weekend? You didn't your Sam Allardyce on this weekend? I mean, I'd love to if they'll have me, uh, but my performance was so strong in the dugout. Are they I hope thinking? you get an iPad this week so you can just do some little like thing. Yeah, but I'll probably end up just doodling on or it. Or you get one of those Hope Pal gigantic whiteboards. Ah... Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm hoping to be sort of back in the squad this week. Uh, yeah, yeah. Fingers getting there? It's getting there, yeah. Okay, it's cool. uh, You know, I've done my time in the cast now. It's pretty dramatic. But uh, we've got Bristol City <laughs> this weekend. It? You can yeah. absolutely sign yeah, it. Yeah, we'll get the biros out on that. <laughs> Bristol City this weekend. Bristol right? City, big away game. Um, yeah, so I think obviously off the back of last weekend, we're feeling confident. We need to go in and obviously win these games and get these points under our belts. So, yeah. Where are you this Spoken weekend? like a true professional. Um, hopefully, Arsenal Man United I will be Saturday. there as well. And early then, kickoff as well. I like an early kickoff. Yeah. 12.30 is quite civilised. Yeah. And then Spurs, Brighton, me is me on Sunday. I cannot remember where Sophie's going, but... Who cares? Well, I mean... You'll see her at so- home. Sophie, I do care. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, that is it for today's episode of Upfront on Football Ramble Presents. If you've got any questions for us, please tweet us at Football Ramble, at Floyd Tweet for myself, at Girls on the Ball for Rachel, or at Morgie underscore 89. And we'll see you all next week. Have you ever sung your girlfriend, Michael Bublé? No. I sing songs at her. Oh, would you, would you sing <laughs> not at her. No, but it's just like random shit. <laughs> Listen to my song. <laughs> <laughs> Do you write originals? Do you write any original songs? <laughs> I don't write original songs, uh, no, but it's just like random shit that happens throughout the day. Like what? Or like, uh, I don't know. Let's like... make a cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> I like broke that. my finger today. Yeah. <laughs> Do not go in the bathroom <laughs> for at least 10 minutes. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Uh, I'm crying. I'm crying. I'm crying. I'm crying. I hate so the fact sore. that that is recorded. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to hell. Football Ramble Presents is a stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.